Acts chapter 19, if you will. We'll get started. Acts 19. Now we have, um, it's, a, it's a good day. Uh, I, the title of this message this morning is 2024, A Good Day for Ministry. And uh, walking out the, the, the doors there, the young people, is what makes this a good day for ministry. When, when you have the little guys and you have those like that where you're going to pay it, where you're in their, they're our future. And the raising of godly generations, this is a message we're going to talk about in a couple months, but I can talk a little bit about it right now. The godly generations right now, there they are. That's our future, and that's our future hope and so forth. So when we talk about a good, a, a great day for ministry, that, that's where they sit. And uh, as I think about 2024, we talked last time, uh, Acts 19 is where you, you need to be. Uh, last week about it, we just kind of introduced it, and I inter- tried to introduce a theme for the year that's going to kind of be running through everything, and that is that issue of some things that Paul expects us to know. And we went back and I showed you some things where Paul makes references like in 2 Corinthians 4, when God called the light out of darkness, shine the light out of darkness and so forth. When he does that, he expects you to understand some of that and know what he's referring to. Uh, I get more than knowing where to find it. It's one thing to know you go back to Genesis 1 and there it is, but it's another to understand what you're looking at. And, and it's critical that way. He, there's an expectation of the Apostle Paul the Holy Spirit, really the Godhead in your life of you renewing your mind and bringing on board uh, his perspective and his thinking. And in that last time we were talking, I made a couple comments about the cycle of our country being in the wintertime and things are dead. Things have died. One of the, some of the characteristics of a wintertime in the cycle of a nation is institutions die. But out of, new, out of those death comes new growth and new things. And our country, coming out of this winter and going into the springtime, our country will never look the same. It will never look the same as you ever thought it would look. The, look. And if you don't understand that, then go back and study the end of the Civil War. 1861 was a, was a wintertime in this country. And what came out of after the Civil War? Now, just think about this. Okay, I don't, don't, don't yell anything at me, okay? But when you think about the condition and the history in our, in our nation coming out of the Civil War and into the springtime, the next growth, that's what's coming our way. It's not going to be, it isn't going to be wonderful time and, and, you know, and all this stuff. It's going to be, it's going to get tougher. Think about 1941, the last uh, World War II, the end of that. That's our last winter time in our country in the cycle of our life, the life of, the, uh, of our nation. And what happened after 45, when, when the war ended and, and spring begins and everything? We, we had great growth, didn't we? We had tremendous growth and everything. So there's things that come, and, and I'm not a Debbie Doomsdayer. Okay, or a Debbie Downer or any of that. I don't believe that. As grace believers, as people who understand what, 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 uh, what God's doing today and, and understand what he's doing, you should never think that way. You should look at it as, hey, this is a great day. And, but you should understand what's going on. 
And as those, young, as those little ones go out and they go to the nursery and they sit there and, and Linda and Andrea and, and the teachers teach them and educate them and, and just teaching them basic Bible stories so that they understand some things. So that when they get older and they grow and they begin to think about it and they move to Greg and Greg begins to, to put into that mush of their minds the issues of right division and, and Paul and, and, and begin to grow that as they do that. You need to understand what they're going to go and face. The world that your children are going to go out and live in is nothing like you did. It's completely changed. You look around, you see, how many of you guys think about the electric car in the winter, the blizzard going on right now? Okay, There's a reason why Enterprise Car Rentals sold back their electric fleet and went and per used that money to buy gas guzzlers. There's a reason, see? But see, but if you think about who pushing, who is pushing that, okay? There's a, there's a group, there's an element, and it's not just right, left, R, D, I, any of that. It's a, there's a course of this world that flows. And you and I ought to understand that. We, we need to understand it. Why? Because of who's in the classrooms next door. See, and again, I'm not a. I, I said Debbie, and Debbie gave me a bad look. I'm not a. I'm not a Debbie Downer. Okay, I'm not. I'm not. I, I actually, it's completely the opposite. I think it's a wonderful time, because what happens is, is when you begin to look around, you begin to realize that our country, what what century is this? Twenty one, twenty first century. Okay. Is very. I can't even remember. It could have been 23. I would have said, okay, 23, you know. I would have, we would have all been really old then, I guess, if it was the 20, The 21st century, when you look around it, you begin to notice some very, you begin to notice some similarities to the first century when the, the Apostle Paul walked the earth. And when I, when I think about that and I look at it and I, and I gauge out what's happening and, and where we as a local assembly need to go and need to do and, and think about some things and so forth, I think about this because as I prepare to teach you and to show you things and to get into things, the reason why I'm looking at some things that, you, that Paul expects you to know is because... He expects you to know, and if you know some of this, then you won't get hoodwinked into some things. You'll be able to sit there and look at it and go, hey, wait a minute, that doesn't jive with this verse and that verse and this, okay? And in Acts 19, you've got the Apostle Paul, verse 1. And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus and finding certain disciples. So we find Paul at Ephesus, all right? And if you just drop down to verse 23, okay? Now, Paul's going to work at Ephesus. He's, he's going to minister at Ephesus. And, and when he's ministering there, he, he doesn't hold anything back. Chapter 20 says he, he gives it all to them. He lays out everything to them. And in verse 23 of chapter 19, and the same time there arose no small stir about that way. Now, Luke, is it's wonderful to go through the book of Acts and read about that way and how Luke uses that, the way, that way, 
And he, Luke will use it to reference the little flock during Peter's ministry in Acts 1 to 7. Now with Paul, he calls it, by the way, with Peter, it's the way. With Paul now, it's that way. It's very fascinating how the pen of the Holy Spirit through Paul, I'm sorry, through Luke, protects that issue. There's a stir rising. Verse 24, for a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith, made silver shrines for Diana, brought no small gain under the craftsmen, whom he called together with the workmen of like occupation and said, Sirs, we know that by this craft we have our wealth. So what do we have? We have a religious system, don't we? Now, you can look around and you'll see it. You know, we looked last week in Jeremiah 44, the queen of heaven, and the, the, the Baal worship and the, the title of the female deity there, queen of heaven. And you see that, and you, you look around, and you say, wow, look, we've, there's some similarities here. Why? Because Baal worship starts with the adversary, Lucifer, Satan, back in Genesis 1, and it continues out until the end down there when there's a, until the great white throne judgment happens. It just takes different pictures, different forms. Verse 26, moreover, we see and hear that not alone in Ephesus, but almost throughout all Asia, this Paul hath persuaded and turned away much people, saying that they be no gods which are made with hands. So that not only this, our craft is in danger to be set at naught, but also that the temple of the great goddess Diana should be despised and her magnificence should be destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worship. Man, look at that. There's a worldwide religion here. Now, again, you look around us, you, you see it. And by the way, it's just not the Roman Catholics. It's, you look at around the world, they're all over, okay? Verse 28 and when they heard these sayings, they were full of wrath and cried out, saying, Great is Diana of, F, uh, of the Ephesians. What was opposing Paul? The religious system was. Paul comes in and he preaches faith and faith alone, and you don't need to be doing that. And you know, here's the, the God of the Bible, the true and living God. That's who we worship. He died for you. He was buried. He rose again. And all you have to do is do nothing but believe him and trust him. And you know what that does to religion? It ripples. Verse 29, the whole city was filled with confusion. Look at what religion did. There's confusion. The result of, the, of this activity here is, is, is confusion. By the way, they caught Gaius and Aristarchus, men of Macedonia, Paul's companion in travel. They rushed with one accord into the theater. And when Paul would have entered in unto the people, the disciples suffered him not. And certain of the chief of Asia, which were his friends, sent unto him to desiring him that he would not adventure himself into the theater. Isn't that interesting? Paul's buddy said, don't go down there. If you go down there, they're going to kill you. You see, when the grace of God showed up, an uproar started. So as, as we sit here and we do ministry and we're here, guess what we're going to do? Guess what we have been doing for 25 years? We've been stirring it up. 
We have an uproar. There's ministries all around us that know us and don't like us and talk about us weekly. What do we do? We're stern. Now, we're, it's not me and it's not you personally. It's what? It's the, the grace of God. See? And you stir the pot. And what happens? They get going. Verse 35. By the way, look at verse 35. And when the town clerk had appeased the people, he said, You men of Ephesus, what man is there that knoweth not how that the city of, of the Ephesians is a worshiper of the great goddess Diana? And of the image which fell down from Jupiter, seeing then that these things cannot be spoken against, ye ought to be quiet and to do nothing rashly. For ye have brought hither these men which are neither robbers of churches nor yet blasphemers of your goddess, wherefore it is Demetrius and the craftsmen which are with him have a matter against any man. The law is open and there are deputies, let them implead one another. But if ye inquire anything Concerning other matters, it shall be determined in a lawful assembly. For we are in danger to be called in question for this day's uproar, there being no cause whereby we may give an account of this concourse. And when he had thus spoken, he dismissed the assembly. What did they do? They went to the government. They went and got the government involved. And you know what the government said? They're not violating the Constitution. Knock it off. Leave them alone. If you've got a violation of law, then we'll hear it. But for them to have an opinion, to speak about freedom, we would say what? Freedom of speech. Knock it off. Leave them alone. Now, today, you hear that freedom of speech stuff all the time in our noisemakers out there. Right here, Paul's going through the same thing. You see, when we begin to look at what Paul, come over to chapter 17 of Acts. In Paul's day, <laughs> Acts 17, in Paul's day, the religious crowd were vicious. Acts 17. Guess what? Today, in the age of grace, today, in 2024, the religious crowd is vicious. They don't like us. They don't like what we preach. They don't like what we teach, what we stand for. When you say that you believe in the King James Bible, you better duck, figuratively. Well, maybe literally. I don't know. It depends on who you're talking to. You know why? Because they don't believe that you can have the completed Word of God in written form in your language. They believe that you got to get it from the preachers and the pa the priests and the fathers and the, the bishops and the, all that. See, again, what do we see? We look around, we see the same thing, don't we? We see the argument happening. We see the onslaught. In a book that I had read, uh, entitled "Backgrounds of Early Christianity," the the writer states that the most deeply ingrained religious belief and practice in both Greece and Rome were associated with the tradition, traditional civic society. You know what that means? That means the government was just as the religious. When you look around today, when you look at our governmental people, they're mostly of the same religion. Okay? 
So they begin to do what? They begin to meld and to blend. Again, when we see religion around us, they didn't like Paul. They don't like you and I. Because we're, we're, we're anti-religion. See, Acts 17. Look at Acts 17, verse 16. Now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. Therefore disputing he... Uh, in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons and, and in the market daily with them that met with him. Notice Paul didn't back down. He went at it. He, he, and you know the reason he goes at it, honestly, is he knows, he knows what you and I know. He knows the end of the story. He knows the end. He comes in. Do you think about him, the Apostle Paul? He was a tent maker by trade. He worked with Aquila and Priscilla, did make tents, do this. He'd work all day, noon, lunch, break, go down to the school of one of Tyrannius, have a Bible study, get done, come back, finish the orders of the day. On his way home, stop by by, by Circle K and get something to eat for the guys, go over here and, and have dinner, and then go house to house and have Bible study with the believers. And the reason the believers were in the houses is because Rome, in charge of the day, wouldn't allow a a Christian cult to own property. See? By the way, the church in the house in Paul's day was underground. Why? Because what are they doing to them? They're killing them. They're looking for them. Nero hated Christianity. Nero blamed the burning of Rome on the Christians. You got to read your history books. It's, okay? It's, that's the same thing you and I face today. Very similar. Keep reading, verse 18. Then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and of the Stoics encountered him. And some asked, now watch, what will this babbler say? <laughs> Others, some, he seemeth to be a setter forth of strange God because he preached unto them Jesus. But notice, and the resurrection. See, you're okay to preach about the guy Jesus. But man, when you say that he was dead, he was buried, and on the third day he rose again, and when he rose, he's a living God, now we got to, you're a nutcase now. See. Epicureans and the Stoics, the philosophy of the day. Now come back to Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Now you have to understand something. In Solomon's book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon lays out every philosophy thought, every thought of philosophy is laid out in Ecclesiastes. Okay? Ecclesiastes, so when you look at Aristotle and Plato and all those yahoos, they steal from Ecclesiastes. They plagiarize the word of God. Look at chapter 2 of Ecclesiastes in verse 24. Here's the Epicureans. There is nothing better for a man than that he should eat and drink and that he should make his soul, joy, his soul enjoy good in his labor. This also I saw that it was from the hand of God. The Epicureans are, we're going ha to have a time of pleasure we're going to eat, drink, and be merry. We're going to have a good time. And we're going to do it through our experience. 
There is nothing better for a man than that he should eat and drink and that he should make his soul enjoy good in his labor. You see? We're going to take pleasure through experience. Come over to chapter 7 of Ecclesiastes. Chapter 7 in verse 3. Here's the Stoics. 7.3. Sorrow is better than laughter. For by the sadness of the countenance of the heart is made better. You see, the Stoics are all about, if it, do, if it doesn't hurt, it ain't good for you. If it's, for it to be good for you, it's got to hurt. And not hurt just a little bit, but hurt deep. And they get that scowl look. Human self-repression. Self-denial. If I'm out here having a good time, then, man, something's not right. That self, boom, nailing. When you come back to Acts 17, by the way, verse 18, Paul understood what they believed. Paul was well aware of the philosophy of the day. One group, eat, drink, and be merry, and just enjoy life, man. If you ain't enjoying life, you ain't living. He with the most toys at the wind, at the end, wins. Or the Epicure, the Stoics, no, you can't enjoy anything. You have to be Stoic and miserable. Man, Paul says, you know what? Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. We're to enjoy all things, 1 Timothy 6 says. God's richly given us all things to enjoy. A completely different mindset. But you know what, though? But notice what they said about Paul. What's this babbler going to say? He's just babbling on. Here you stand up. You've got the word of God. You understand what's going on. You're looking around. You're dealing with people. You're talking to people. And you know what you begin to do? You begin to share with them the issues of God's grace, his, his salvation, his justification, and then his identity and his walk. And they look at you, and they look at you like you are a nutcase. Man, that's a great day. You're doing it right. Wade into that battle. And when you think about this, the, here's the philosophy and the religion of Paul's day, and you know what? It looks like today. But you know what, though? It looked like every day. It looks like every, all of it. You guys know who Atlas Shrug, Shrug, Shrug is? Uh, Anne Ryan? Anne Rand, sorry, her idea in, in her book, Atlas Shrug, the individual should exist for his own sake. Neither sacrificing himself for others or sacrificing others for himself. That's the philosophy out there. What do you and I have, by the way, in Paul? We have a little thing called a one-anothering. We're to love one another. We're to forgive one another. We're to be honest with one another. We're to enjoy one. We're, there's a one-anothering. Now, come over to Romans chapter 1. Now, I do all that just so you see that when we talk about today being very similar to first century, I, I didn't bring the books out and give you a whole bunch of historical lessons. You can Wikipedia it and Google it all you want. And that's not the goal. The goal is, is watch Paul. 
Paul is our pattern. First Timothy chapter 2, he says, consider, or sorry, 2 Timothy 2, verse 7, consider what I say and the Lord give the understanding in all things. You know that only Paul said that? The Lord didn't even say that. Peter says, there's some things Paul writes that's hard to understand. Paul says, you read what I got, give you, you can understand everything. A little different mindset, a little different point of view, a little different frame. Why? Because when Paul gets on board and the, and the epistles written by Paul and the doctrine given to Paul and then given to you and I through the written word, it, it begins to open up. And we go, wait a minute, that looks familiar. I, can, I got an answer for that. Think about marriage. How has marriage been in this country? There's been a great attack on it, hasn't there? So what does Paul do? He spends a whole, he spends a whole chapter in 1 Corinthians 7 talking about it, and then he spends a whole chapter in, in, in Ephesians talking about it, laying out the, the, the structure, the husbands and the wives and how that structure is to happen. And then Paul comes in, and think about in the local assembly, because this is where we're sitting. Now you have women preachers today, women pastors today. 1 Timothy 2, Paul, or 1 Timothy 2, Paul says, no, the women have a role not, not to be over the authority. over the they, they have roles to play. Why? Because when things get muddled up, it's because everything that God has ordained is what? Out of whack. And we don't do that. Think about society, morality. Look at Romans 1. Look at Romans 1, verse 24. I, I, you should never be surprised or shocked when unsaved people do what unsaved people do. None of that should shock you. Because you know, you know Romans 1, 24. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanliness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. Think about that. He gave them up. Verse 26, for this cause God gave them up unto vile affections, for even their women did change their natural use unto that which is against nature. You, you see all of the stuff out there. And all of the LBGTQSRBD, whatever stuff, you see all of that. What does God's word say? It's against nature. You shouldn't be rattled. I think about that. LGB, B is bi. Do you know what that means? There's only two genders. In their own title, there's only two genders. You think about that. When you think of, you shouldn't be going, oh, the world's going to hell in a handbasket. It already was. Genesis 3, set it on the course. Don't be surprised. You have it here. But by the way, the women, 1 Timothy 2 and verse 9 there, talking about the women of the local assembly, if you just think about that. Here's the, in, in Romans 1, the world, the women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman and the issue of the, of, of, of the perversion there. By the way, homosexuality is curable. You know, what, you know what's curing it? You know how to cure it? It's called the cross. It's called the gospel. It's called getting people saved. That'll cure it. Okay? Now, I'm not, you've you got to think about this. By the way, when, if you talk with folks in that, in the alternative communities, 
don't take them to Deuteronomy and Leviticus and try to pound it. Take them over here to God's grace and try to rescue them from it. Because they're in the community they're in because they were told that's where they need to be. Got to think this stuff through. Look at 1 Timothy 2. In the local assembly, verse 9, in like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel with, notice that word, shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broidered hair or gold or pearls or costly array. Now, by the way, he's not talking about you can't wear jewelry, okay? He's talking, it's a shamefacedness. Do you know what that shamefacedness is? That's, you know how when you blush from embarrassment? That's shamefacedness. In other words, the activity in the local assembly, because men get going, you know, we get to going, we get to thinking, we don't think about this over here, and then my wife sees something I do, and she will blush and tell me, knock it off. Not that it's wrong, it's just not really all the way right. So shamefacedness, I lost my first Timothy too. Shamefacedness. It's about conduct. That's what the broidered hair and the gold and the perils and the costly array stuff. It's a conduct. It's an attitude of, look at me. See? No, shamefacedness is, hey, what are we here about? We're here about preaching the word, rightly divided, and living the grace life. We went through those five things that we are and everything. There's reasons why I do all this stuff. And we talk about and we study this because you have to remember, why are we come together as a local assembly? Why do, we come and do, why do we come and study and argue and hammer out things and look at things? Because we want to know, we want to grow, we want to we uh, build up the inner man, edify the inner man, getting, getting big and fat, you know. Fat is where the Lord, Lord loves fat. There, you know, that's Proverbs, okay. <laughs> I tell you, don't go back there, and then I take you back there. Well, you guys all know that, uh, never mind, I'll let it go, I'll let it go. Okay, but shamefacedness. You see, there's, a, there's an attitude there. What's happening? Look at 1 Timothy 4. What's happening in the, in the local assembly? What's happening in the body of Christ? You see, they're allowing the society norms out here to filter in. So guess what you have to have, pastor? You have to have your pronouns in order, please. We're going to block you from this because you don't use the right. You can't speak English without pronouns. And it'd be understandable. You can't do this or that. What do you mean you are against same-sex marriage? I'm not against it. I'm against, I'm for what marriage is to be. Look at 1 Timothy 4. By the way, 1 Timothy is all about the church, the local church, in, in, in charge, in, in, in running, how it's or structured, how, how the roles are to be. In verse 1, now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with the hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving, of them which believe and know the truth. What's going on today? 
What's happening around the church at large? What's that verse say is happening? They're departing from the faith. They're leaving. They're allowing apostasy to creep in. They're leaving the structure and the foundation of godliness. They're looking for, well, we need to be accepted. We need this. We need that. So we're going to come over here now, and we're going to have this event going to be, see. Look over 2 Timothy 1. 2 Timothy, the church is in apostasy. And here's what we're to do about it. You see, in Paul's day, as Paul's life is coming to a conclusion, the church is already in apostasy. It is already in its last days. By the way, the last days of the, the dispensation of grace because the church doesn't end, but the last days of the dispensation of grace was day two of Paul's apostleship. You ain't got to think about that one. Because when can the Lord come back and end the dispensation of grace? In a moment, in a twinkling, any time. So Paul, get it out there one, day two could have been over. Now he didn't do that. He's prolonged it a little over 2,000 years, and we're grateful for that. But see, the last days of the dispensation of grace began in Paul's ministry. And what does he say, verse 15? This thou knowest that all they which are in Asia... Now, wait a minute. Who's in Asia? Acts 19, Ephesus is in Asia. That big megachurch at Ephesus there. And it was a megachurch. It was a big church. If they're impacting and rippling out into the community, like we read in Acts, 8, in Acts 19, they're a big group of people. They've all done what? They've been turned away from me, of whom is Phygelius and Hermogenes. They're leaving, all of them. Now, all of them doesn't mean all of them because Timothy is there. He didn't leave, and there's other But he's talking about in the big, the corporate issue of it. Come over to chapter uh, 3 of 2 Timothy. Again, verse 1, This know that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetousness, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. With, is that, you see that today? Oh, man, it's like holy cow. But you know what, though? They saw it in 1861. They saw it in 1776. They saw it in 1941. Why? Because there's nothing new under the sun, see. And that's really what I'm getting at. What we're doing today, and we've got to get going, otherwise I'll, I'll get scalded. But what we're doing today isn't anything that's new. But it's the commitment to do it that has to be renewed. And the why we're doing it sometimes has to be renewed. Look down there. Look, just keep reading. Uh, verse 3. Without natural affections, there's Romans 1, truth breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof from such turn away. For of this sort are they which creep into house and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with divers' lusts, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. You know who that's describing? That's describing members of the church, the body of Christ, as they have left the Apostle Paul. Chapter 115. That's not an unsaved person. 
Paul is not talking to unsaved people here. He's talking to, actually, if you look back in chapter 2, if you will just indulge me for a moment. If you look at chapter 2, verse 15, study the sh- verse 14, of these things put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord that they strive not about words to no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers. The answer is verse 15, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, but profane and shame in vain babblings. Uh, verse uh, 17, and their word will eat as doth a canker of whom is Hymenius and Philetus, who concerning the truth, if they're going to err, then what do they have to know? They have to know the truth. Notice how that verse says that. Who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already and overthrow the faith. How in the world can they say the resurrection is past if they don't already have an understanding of where the resurrection is to happen? The truth. These are not Bible dumbbells. This is not a picture of society. A picture of society is Romans 1. This is a picture within the church. And what's happening within the church is they are leaving Paul. And they're forsaking. They're, they have a form of godliness, but no power. You see, these are believers that, that are leaving and drifting away. Go back there to chapter 3. If you look at verse 13, but evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. You come across the page in chapter 4 and verse 10. For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. Demas, the great one of the great workers with the Apostle Paul in ministry. And what has he done? He's left loving the world. You see, this stuff in 2 Timothy is talking about the condition of the church, the body of Christ. The local church is falling apart. Why? Because they left the truth of God's word rightly divided. That's why chapter 3, verse 14 is what we do. 2 Timothy 3, 14. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. Man, when we look around the world and we see it falling apart, when we look around the church, the only only lighthouse on the hill, and it's falling apart, what do we do? We go up and take over the lighthouse. And we do, verse 14, that's what we do. By the way, how do you know that doing that is the right thing to do? Because verse 14 just told you to go do that. And that's what we do. You're in, first, you're in 2 Timothy. Come back to 1 Timothy 2. I mean, you think about what's going on around us. Don't be overwhelmed with it. It's nothing new under the sun, Solomon says in Ecclesiastes. But make that recommitment within yourself to, hey, this is what we need to be doing. Look at 1 Timothy 2. I said this a minute ago, but this is what we need to be about. Verse 3, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Who will? Here's the will of God. Here's the sovereign free will of, of God. He would have all men to be saved and 
come unto the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time, whereunto I am ordained a preacher and an apostle. I speak the truth in Christ and lie not, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and verity. What does the world need today? They need a shining light that God loves them. He's not mad at them. He loves them. He loved them so much that he died for them. You see, that's what they need. And that's what people are going to need. If the economic doomsdayers are right, which some are, you know, you got them on both sides. It depends on which science you like. But if the economic doomsdayers are right, then what do people going to need? They're going to need to know that what's happening isn't from God. That God loves them. He died for them. You're going to have to, get, be, you're going to, have to give them Paul's gospel. That's why I read through verse 7. That's why Paul writes it this way, to protect Paul's gospel. You see, they need Christ. They don't need religion. That's why we're, we're not religion here. They need Christ. That's who they need. 2 Timothy 2, 2 Timothy 2, verse 7, 2 Timothy 2, 7. Consider what I say, and the Lord give the understanding in all things. You know what they need? They need Paul. They don't need philosophy. If I'm going to have understanding, where do I going to go? I need to go to Paul, not the Epicureans, the Stoics or this guy or that guy. I need to come here. The spirit of wisdom, the spirit of revelation, the spirit of knowledge, truth, is right here. Come over to Galatians 2. You see, folks, we have the answer. It's just now whether or not we're going to, as they say, cowboy up and stick on the answer, stay on the horse. Galatians 2, verse 20. It hangs on the back wall, so I don't have to look it up. I can just quote it, but no, I'm just kidding. It hangs on the back of the wall, along with I am complete in him, as a reminder for you. As you leave, you see it on the proper mentality, the proper thinking, the right thinking process. Coming in, there's a little placard above the double doors that says, What saith the Scripture? Because that's what we're talking about in here. Going out as you leave, you know what you're going to remember? I'm complete in him. You know, when, you're, when you understand what that means, that means you lack nothing. So then when religion steps up and says, hey, you need to do A, B, and C to get D, E, and F, go, nope, I already got deaf. I already got D, E, and F. I don't need to do A, B, and C. I already got it. See, that's a great liberating doctrine. But then Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. There's Romans 6. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. There's Romans 7. And the life that I now live in the flesh, here's Romans 8, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Boy, what a way to think about life. It's not about me, it's about whom I represent as his ambassador. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go live life the same way he lived his life, which is in total and complete dependency upon the word of God to him. 
So I'm going to live the same way. The life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. How, did he, how was the Son of God faithful? He lived by the will of his Father, the word of his Father, the understanding given to him of his Father. How are you and I supposed to live? The same way. As we take in the word of God rightly divided, as we renew our mind. And you know what begins to happen? Then Christ begins to be, Philippians 1 verse 21, my life. Then in Philippians 2 verse 5, he becomes my mind, my thinking set. Chapter 3 verse 10, he becomes my goal. I want to know him more and more and more and deeper and deeper. And then that results in Philippians 4 verse 13 as he is my strength. Not some wishy-washy, oh, I get my strength over here if I do this. No, he's my strength. Philippians 1 verse 21, Paul says, yay. <clears throat> Philippians 1 21, he says, I, I, this verse just for to me. In Paul's estimation, in Paul's thinking, for to me. That's how Paul thought about this. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. So what does he say? Chapter 4 there, verse 13. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. How does Christ strengthen me? He becomes my mind. He becomes my thinking. He becomes my life. He becomes my goal. He becomes my all. And then when I look over and I look at the details of life and what I have to do and what I have to decide, I can come from it with a standpoint of stability. Not tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Not up and down. I can come in even keel, even when the seas are stormy. Come over to 2 Timothy chapter 1. You see, folks, when we look around, man, 2024 is a great day for ministry because we have the answer. And I'm not talking about, I mean, we're going to go up to the swap meet and do, you come, do, that's fine. I'm not talking about you, you, you just, okay, well, Pastor Rick said I got to go knock on 800 doors. I didn't say that. In your life where you interact with people, you see, evangelism work and speaking, it's personal work. It's relationships that you stand and you say, hey, you know what? That's what, this is truth and this isn't. But more importantly, in your life, in your family, in your home, that when you see the outside world come up against it, you don't falter. That verse, we read it quickly, the silly women laden with sin. That isn't, ha, 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 they're funny, goofy little women. How does Satan get his hold? He goes through Eve. He goes through the women in the church. That's where he goes. And he does it because, not because they're weaker or can't do, but because of, their, of the status, the order in the local assembly, the order in the home to usurp that authority God gave. It isn't about ability or not. It's about the order. So in my home, guess what? We're going to keep it in order. 2 Timothy 1, verse 8, Paul again here with Timothy, he says, But be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, 
this is what we ought to be doing. Don't be ashamed of rightly dividing the word of truth, of standing on God's grace, of living the grace life. Don't be ashamed of saying, hey, hon, we're not going to do that. It's not the right thing to do. Don't be ashamed of saying, hey, kid, you know, to your children, don't do that. It's, it, and, but here's why. I'm not talking about law and running. I'm talking about, hey, looking out for them. He says, don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, the word revealed and given to the Apostle Paul, the testimony. We preach Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery. But then he says, nor of me, his prisoner. Oh, don't back down when somebody says, oh, you, you follow Paul. You know, he's a woman, he's a male chauvinist pig because he thinks women ought to be silent in the church. You ought to know about 1 Corinthians 14, that where that verse says about women keeping silence, the context is speaking in tongues. There's a specific context, and there's a reason why. They don't know that. You need to know that. Don't stand down of, oh, Paul, he was a, he was a womanizer, if you haven't heard that one before. Oh, really? <laughs> How do you know that? Well, the history, yeah, okay, wrong Paul. Don't, don't, don't be ashamed of Paul. Actually, O Onesiphorus, verse 16, the Lord give mercy unto the house of Onesiphorus, for he oft refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. Oh, man, stand. You, Paul, he's your guy. Verse 8, he says, but be thou partaker of the affliction of the gospel according to the power of God. That's what we need to be doing on purpose. The purposeful, looking at it, saying, Hey, I know things around aren't looking good, but that's the world. As for me and my home right here, you know what we're going to do? We're going to follow the Word of God rightly divided. I know that's not Jeremiah, but that's where we're going to go. Okay? We're going to follow the grace life. We're going to follow the Pauline teachings. We're going to do it this way. And then when other people look at it and they say, why do you do that way? You say, it doesn't matter. We're doing this because this is what I'm held accountable to. Be thou partaker of the affliction of the gospel. Do you know what that means? That means you're talking it. You're getting it out there. You're living it. By the way, you do, more, you do more than speak it when you live it. When you put it on display, you speak louder than words coming out of your mouth. Paul's our pattern. And you know what? As we go into the future, I don't know what it holds. We could all win the Powerball tomorrow. Who knows? First, you got to buy a ticket. Yeah, exactly. But I do know this, that if the Lord tarries, we have a job to do. And we have to live like that. We have to plan that way. Plan as if the Lord tarrying for another 10 years. Live as if he's coming right now. And that's what we need to do. And how do we do that? We think about those kids next door for the local assembly. We think about the kid, the, your family units. And you hug them and you love them and you wrap your arms around them. But that's who we're thinking about. You see? That's what we're going to do. Okay? All right. Dearly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. And above all, Lord, we just thank you for who we are in your son. We thank you for all the all spiritual blessings. We thank you for the complete and total identity that we have. And we give you the praise and the glory and the honor. In your name we pray, amen.
All right.